Our Old Testament lesson comes from Exodus. Uh, This is chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. It should be found on page 115 uh, in your pew Bibles. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, we ask that this morning um, you would give us ears to hear your word amidst all the voices uh, in our noisy world. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. Lord, help us to listen. Help us to obey. Help us to follow where you lead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Exodus chapter 19. Uh, verses 1 through 9, and uh, where this is in the, in the story of uh, God's people, it's the, when God has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they have already come across the Red Sea, they've already had some experiences of God providing for them in the wilderness, and now they are coming to Mount Sinai. And it says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, And brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Turning then to uh, our New Testament lesson, this is 1 Peter 1, verses 17 through 21. Peter writes, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our sermon text, as you can see from, uh, it's printed in the bulletin, is John 12, verses 20 through 33. 
And, uh, and we'll get there in just a second. But, uh, but for now, we need to kind of pick up the story of how we get to this place first. And uh, we talked about last week uh, Palm Sunday, which was weird because we're in the middle of Lent and Palm Sunday comes traditionally at the end of Lent, uh, the Sunday right before Easter. And as we talked about last week, the reason that we covered Palm Sunday then is because there's a lot of stuff that happens between Palm Sunday and Easter, and we want to let that uh, let that breathe a little <laughs> so we can actually uh, kind of walk that path along with Jesus. So, um, so we looked at Palm Sunday, and one of the things that we looked at with Palm Sunday is uh, the events that are happening there. That's Jesus coming into Jerusalem. So he's riding into the capital city and everybody is cheering and they're waving the palm branches. And we talked about how that's like uh, waving flags and campaign uh, signs because this is the person that they see as coming into the capital city to take over. And he is now going to be the new king and he is going to be the one who leads everybody in driving out the Romans and establishing this restored kingdom of Israel. That's what everybody's expecting. And Jesus is riding in kind of as a king. And he's been doing things at, that, uh, that show and display his power to do what nobody else can do. And so it's like, well, yeah, he's the one who ought to be the king. <laughs> but then we talked about how his kingship looks very different than the way that people were expecting it. And so they had it right on the one hand that he's the king. On the other hand, what that looks like is very different than what they were expecting. And so... Um, so he, we see him riding in on a donkey, and this is, it's different. So we're going to look at some more of that this morning, this uh, idea of his kingship, but also the different kingship. And so where we start is actually with a bit of um, people coming to Jesus. Here's, here's where we start. This is um, John chapter 12, starting in uh, verse 20. And this is what kicks off the whole thing. We've just had Jesus ride into town. We've just had all that. And then, because now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So this is what sets it all up. What is it that sets it up? Non-Jewish people are coming to Jesus. Now, in the way that this has gone so far, that's, that's not what, really what we've seen. We've been seeing Jesus calling Jewish disciples. We've been seeing him going in and around in Israel, ministering more particularly to Jewish people. And here we see kind of a shift. Now we see people who are identified as Greeks coming and saying, we want to see this Jesus. <laughs> now, they're already you know, somewhat Jewishly inclined. They are in Jerusalem for the Passover. So these may be uh, people who are God-fearing Greeks. But here they are wanting now to see Jesus. So there's a little bit of a, uh, a change in seeing that this is not just for Jewish people, that Jesus is a king not just over Israel. Jesus is a king over everybody, everywhere. And... Uh, and What's bizarre, to me anyway, maybe you think it's just totally normal, but <laughs> what I think is bizarre is that John tells us these people came and they talked to Philip and then Philip and Andrew go to Jesus and say, hey, they, these people want to see you, right? And then John doesn't tell us if they ever see Jesus. 
I was like, oh, don't leave us hanging. Do they get to see him or not? Uh, But what he does tell us is how Jesus responds to this request in another way. And so this request, while in my mind, yeah, he probably, they, they get to come. I don't. I don't know of a time that people are trying to see Jesus so they don't get to. Uh, but what, we, what he does tell us is how Jesus responds to this request by way of it just kind of bringing again to his attention and what he wants to bring to everybody else's attention of what his kingship is and what it's about and how it is not just for Jewish people, but it is for everybody and how exactly that takes place. So here we have another turn in the whole story, and this is verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. If you have read straight through the book of John to this point, that line should really stand out. Because so far we've seen numerous times where Jesus has said, you know, my hour, my hour has not yet come. You remember he's uh, doing the uh, water to wine. Sorry, I almost said that backwards. Water to wine at the wedding <laughs> in Cana. And uh, when Mary first asked him to do it, he's like, why are, you, why are you asking me to do this? My hour has not yet come, right? And then, uh, and then later on, there are a couple occasions where people try to arrest Jesus. They try to seize him in the temple courts. And John says, but they couldn't because his hour had not yet come. And so this is one of those things where we're, you know, coming along in the book of John, we're like, so it hasn't come yet. What is it going to mean when it comes? When is it going to come? And then we get to this line and he says, Jesus replied, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, so now we at least know what this hour is about. Somehow the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Next week, we'll go into more of what in the world he means by the Son of Man. We're going to hold off on that for right now. And uh, we're just going to say it's, it's him. <laughs> we'll talk more about that next week. But the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, what is that going to mean? And so he tells us in ways we may not expect. Very truly, I tell you, he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And we'll get the response to that in just a second. Uh, But in this whole section... Jesus is talking about his kingship and what it's about and what it's for in a very different way. Here he's talking about his kingship as though he's going to die. But he doesn't talk about it as though his death is a defeat. He talks about it like his death is the victory. And so what is the first illustration he uses for that? 
one everybody's familiar with. That everybody kind of gets it, even if we've never really thought about it in those terms. That he says, you know, a seed just tries to stay a seed on its own. And that's it. That's all it ever does. But he's like, but if the seed dies, it's when that seed gets planted, then it produces this whole other plant. And that plant doesn't just have one seed on it. That plant itself has lots of seeds. And so he's like, in order for there to be lots of seeds, that first seed has to die. This is the way that Jesus is talking about what it means for him to be the king in this way. It's not to ride in victoriously in Jerusalem and throw out the Romans. It is to go into Jerusalem and to die. To lay down his life for the good of others. For him to die that others might live. When he says this, he gets to that point where he's like, yeah, my soul is troubled. (laughs) You know, and I don't know if you've had this kind of experience where you knew you had an unpleasant task ahead of you, but you knew it was the right thing to do. And so you were, you were moving forward to it. And it's like, you know what, just kind of keep it out of my mind. I'm just going to keep heading, heading down that way until you kind of, it's right in your face. And now it's time to, to do the thing you don't want to do. I will give you a silly example. When I was very young, um, and this is not, you know, necessarily the, the right thing to do. This is what I chose to do. This is when we were at a swimming pool and I was going to go off the high dive for the first time. I feel like I've recently told this story. I can't remember if it was here. So if so, you get it again. Anyway, um, I go up the diving board. And it's the high board. I've never been off that one before. And I get all the way out to the edge. And I look over the edge. And I'm like, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> That's not happening. And I turn around to go back. And everybody else at the bottom of the ladder is like, sorry, man. It's one way only. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but... It makes sense they would say that. It's like, why else would you go to the end of the board except to jump off? Like, that's why you got up there, right? Wasn't that your intention when you started climbing the ladder was to get over there and to jump off? Well, sure. But now that I'm faced with it, I'm scared. (laughs) And I'm looking down and I'm like, this is not going to be good. And so so I see this, uh, again, this is a really silly version compared to what Jesus is dealing with. But it's the same kind of idea that he's saying, this is what I came for. I'm not going to say, Father, save me from this hour. You know, that I don't want you to get me out of this if this is what it's going to take to save everybody. I came to save everybody. That's the whole deal. And so if what that means is for me to go through this thing that is incredibly unpleasant, that's what I'm going to do. But facing it, I mean, he is now less than a week away from when this is going to happen. And when he stares it in the face, you know, it's, it's one thing to know that it's coming. It's another thing for it to be here. And as he stares it in the face, he says, my soul is troubled. And it ought to be. It ought to be. This is not, I mean, this is a serious thing that Jesus is going through. And it's not something that should be taken lightly by us and certainly not by him. If this were easy for him to do, it wouldn't be the same. And I think personally that it is, uh, it is not troubling to me that he is troubled. It is actually comforting to me that he's troubled (laughs) as he faces this, that he looked at something that was not easy to do 
and said, but I love them enough, I'm going to do it anyway. And he moves forward, even when his soul is troubled. Um, I'm going to carry on with my story. As I faced the waters below from that great height, eventually, 25 minutes later, I, um, that is true, by the way, I did jump and I made the plunge and um, came down just flat on my belly. <laughs> Knocked the wind out of me. Didn't matter. I was underwater. You can't breathe there anyway. And so, I mean, it seemed, it seemed pretty bad. Except that when I popped up again, <laughs> head above water, smiling huge. I was thrilled not because it hurt, not because, but I was thrilled. I had made it. I had survived and I had done the thing. And you know what I did immediately after I got out of the water? Right back up, <laughs> doing it again and again and again. And so the thing that seemed like it was going to be the end of me, actually, I kind of emerged victoriously and uh, don't have to be afraid anymore. Anyway, when uh, Jesus talks about it. We're going to come back to a bit of it. Um, We're going to move on. This is the response that comes next when Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. This is still in verse 28. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Now there is some, uh, there is some wordplay here we're going to get to in a second. But this idea of Jesus' death being the victory. Everybody is celebrating as he comes in on Palm Sunday that this king is going to come in and he's going to drive out all of the Romans. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not what this is. I'm going to come in and I'm going to die. But when he says that he's going to die, he says that it's because now is the time for judgment on this world. And that now the prince of this world will be driven out. Not the Romans, but the evil one. And the judgment on the world will come when he dies. That he takes the judgment for sin on himself at the cross. And yet it's in doing that, it demonstrates both the evil of the world that would kill the one who came to save them. But it also is the defeat of the evil one. If you turn over to the book of Revelation, you, it talks about how the, you know, this dragon and all this weird language and, uh, and it's defeated by the blood of the lamb. Like, how can the blood of a lamb defeat a dragon? <laughs> and that's the whole point. It is so counterintuitive. I keep wanting, like, I keep using this phrase in conversation with people of how reality is counterintuitive. <laughs> there are so many examples where things aren't like they seem. And that's true mathematically, it's true scientifically, it's true theologically, that reality is not 
uh, intuitive. It's, it's counterintuitive. Like you, uh, you would think there's no way that the blood of a lamb could defeat a dragon, and yet that's exactly what happens. Jesus dies, and it is the victory. And this is where the wordplay comes in, of this being lifted up. Because normally what that word implies is glory and celebration. I mean, you think about it, we still do this today in uh, athletic competitions. And the guy who scores the winning goal, what's the rest of the team do? Up on the shoulders, carrying him around. Why are they doing that? Because they want everybody to see how great he is. He's the one who just saved the team. He's the one who did it. And so we lift him up so everybody can see and everybody can celebrate with us together how great he is, right? That's still a part of our practice. And Jesus says, when I am lifted up, is it going to be like that? He's going to be lifted up on a cross, which is a very different way to be lifted up. But he's combining this, that it is through being lifted up on a cross that he is lifted up as the one that we still celebrate and say, look at him. He's the one who saved us because he was lifted up on a cross. Here's where this gets, um, it's crazy. We We talked about how beginning we see these, Greeks coming to Jesus. That's what started this whole thing. Because it's for everybody. What he says there at the end is, when I am lifted up from uh, the earth, I, you know, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. This is why he's doing this. And he says this to show the kind of death he would die. So, All people are drawn to Jesus. But I said we're going to skip some stuff and come back to it, and that's in this this middle section again. This is when he talks about the seed dying, that then it brings forth more seed, right? Then he goes on and explains how he's not just talking about himself. But he's the one who goes first in leading us in what it means to actually live. And the way he describes it is a way of laying down our own lives for the good of others. That's what it keeps coming back to again and again. And the way he puts it is anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He says, whoever serves me must follow me. Well, wait. If you're following him into the city on Palm Sunday thinking he's going to be the king, that's one thing. If you're following him to a cross, that's another thing. But as Jesus is talking about, it is in following him. It is in this laying down our lives, just like he's laying down his life for us. We lay down our lives for others. He says, that's, that's the real life. That's what it's really all about. And so he says, uh, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. And so for Jesus, we see this combination of suffering, but then also glory. And he says, follow me. And for you, there will be suffering and also glory. 
And in the same way that he faces this and it's right there in front of him and he's like, oh, my soul is troubled. And yet for love of others, he moves forward. He calls us to do the same, to follow him. And when he leads us into things that are unpleasant tasks, that we trust that he knows what he's doing, that he knows where he's leading, and that he knows what he's talking about. When he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That he knows what he's talking about when he says that my father will honor the one who serves me. This is a message for all people. Not just for Jewish people, not just for Greeks, not just for Americans, not just for Texans. (laughs) It's for all people. And the message for all people is that Jesus died that we can live. But that's only the first part of the message. The second part is that life is a life of following him in both suffering and glory for the good of others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.